purchased and given freely to us. I pray that you would just teach us how to walk as your sons and daughters. And not just walk in it, but also, Father, give it away. To give away the freedom we have been so richly and so freely blessed with. I ask, Lord, that you open our hearts for this and our minds. And, Lord, free us from ourselves and from the enemy. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. You guys can have a seat, man. I like that song. It's the hay. It's a little hay. That's what spices it up, man. It's like a jalapeno in a song is what it is. That's right. It's good. All right. Good morning, guys. Are you having a good Christmas so far? Six of you are doing well. Yes. All right. Yeah, start over. <laughs> we need to start over. Yes, we need to start back in January. That's what we need to do, right? All right. Well, are you glad you're not in jail this morning? That's good. That's good. Way to go. Sometimes it's a toss-up, right? Saturday night, you're like, jail, church. Mm, we'll see. <laughs> oh, man. Actually, okay, I know this is a downer, but here we go. Right to the floor. All right. 2.3 million people are in jail in America today, right now. Do you know about that? 2.3 million people are in jail this morning. Not getting to hear this incredible message that's going to blow your mind just... Just in jail. There are uh, 1,719 state prisons, 102 federal prisons, 942 juvenile correctional facilities, 3,283 local jails, and 79 Indian country jails. Wow! We like to lock people up, don't we? There's just so many ideas. Those numbers are kind of staggering. In fact, they're so big, you can't even wrap your head around that many people that are incarcerated in one form or another for one reason or another today. But that's not what we're here to talk about. <laughs> because there are a lot more ways to be imprisoned than with concrete and iron. And that's what we're coming after today. We're coming after freedom. And not I don't want you to just get free. I want you to be so free that you're able to give away your freedom. That it is something as you can give as a gift to other people. And so as we walk through this series on the miracles of Christmas, and we think about this huge idea that that God walked the earth, God with us. And, and the big idea that God became a human, we covered last week in Pastor Longfellow's message. And this week we just talk about how that act, that, that rescue mission, set us, sets us free. And so today as you, you sit there, I want you to, to really take this message in here. And what I mean is, there's going to be good stuff in it for your husband or wife, Okay. But I don't want you to worry about them, okay? And, and, and some of it is probably for the person behind you. I get that. But I'm talking to you. And this message is about what you can get out of it and how you can grow out of it. So don't miss what God has for you trying to think about how, oh, if only so-and-so were here. You know, yeah, they, they should be, but here we are, okay? So let's enjoy this moment before our Father together, and let's find some freedom. Let's get into this miracle of how God came to earth to set people free. Amen. All right. God came to earth to set people free. So let's start the story in a little town. Anybody in this room, you don't have to raise your hand, but give me not. Anybody from a little town, pretty small, less than 1,000 people, less than 5,000. We'll say less than 5,000. Okay. I'm from a town of about 1,200, 1,300. Maybe it's 12,000. That's not a small town in my book. And you're like, that's a small town. I planted a church in a town of 450 people. That's a small town. Now, there was a town in Wyoming that had one person. And I thought that'd be a good place to start a church because you can't, can't have a church split there. I mean, that's, there's just one guy. But that one guy's got to make a lot of money for the tithe thing to work out. So anyway, <laughs> so anyway, I don't think that town is around anymore. I think it, how do you close a town? To, I don't know, but I hope I never find out. So Anyway, Jesus was in his town, and his town uh, was Nazareth. That was his hometown. Nazareth had one claim to fame, and it actually was Jesus. There was no other reason to go uh, there. The archaeological digs, archaeology is always a friend of the Bible, archaeological digs show that the town of Nazareth was about 150 to 300 people lived in this little village town. And uh, in fact, when Jesus met Nathaniel, uh, and, and they told him, hey, we found the Messiah, and Nathaniel's answer is 
can anything good come out of Nazareth? I mean, that's just, there's nothing there, you know? It's just not, there's nothing in Nazareth. So the only, I mean, there aren't even any claims to fame. There's a tax revolt there. I mean, who wouldn't want to be a part of a good tax revolt, right? I mean, that, every town should have one. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. It's a joke. <laughs> and the, the Roman armory was robbed there, probably as part of the tax revolt. But anyway, so, uh, you know, just, just not really anything going on. But Jesus went back to visit his, uh, his hometown. Let me kind of put this in context with his ministry a little bit. Jesus, this is after he'd been baptized. He'd been baptized, Jordan River, and the and witnesses saw the Holy Spirit descend on him like a dove. So there was that witness. Holy Spirit came on. Then we find out in Luke 4 that he, uh, <clears throat> or maybe it's Matthew 4, that he is led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. So the Holy Spirit is on him. He's baptized, Holy Spirit. Then he goes out in the wilderness and he encounters the enemy. Satan tempts him. Uh, this is for a future sermon, but I want to plant a seed now. Two of Satan's temptations started with the phrase, if you really are the Son of God. Now we'll get back to that in January, so don't miss January. The whole month, just be here every Sunday. You don't want to miss that. But anyway, so two of those temptations. But anyway, Jesus cleared that temptation, 40-day fast, comes out, begins a ministry in power. He's baptized, goes into a temptation, comes out of the temptation in victory and power, and his ministry begins in earnest. Things are going on. Everybody's talking about Jesus that meets him. His teachings were off the charts. No one knows really where he came from other than the town of Nazareth. They don't know where he got his education. He's just creating a buzz. This is his early part of his ministry. It's too early for anybody to hate him just yet. And he goes back to his hometown, Nazareth, and everybody is proud of hometown boy made good. You know, he's, he's in town. And so the day for uh, synagogue meeting rolls around, and Jesus is going to synagogue. That's his practice. He went, he liked to stir up trouble in the synagogues. And so he goes, and the leader of the synagogue asked Jesus to share that day so jesus requested the scroll because in that day and age they would have been on a, a scroll something you unwind and roll and roll up and so forth and he'd asked for them to open the scroll to the place of isaiah and he read out of isaiah 61 but we're going to read what he said in luke 418 okay so in luke 418 jesus says to the people now everybody's by the way the synagogue's probably packed Everybody's like, yeah, Jesus is back. This is great. We've got a claim to fame. Now Nazareth will be known and on the map. Everyone's sitting there, and here's Jesus' selection. It's important. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for He has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free. Now pause. Jesus' ministry, He is basically setting the tone these first few months of ministry. He's basically saying, this is what I'm about, this is what I do, this is where I'm going. He has the entire Old Testament at His disposal at this moment. As He's getting ready, as He makes His selection. Have you, have you ever read the Old Testament? In fact, let me put it in context for you. The Old Testament is the largest section of the Bible. If you were to try... If you were to read your Bible through next year, which would be an amazing goal and not that hard to accomplish, if you were to read your Bible, Genesis to Revelation, first to last next year, you would spend almost 10 months just in the Old Testament. That's how much larger the Old Testament is than the New. So he has this vast opportunity of selection here, this vast collection of material, and he hones in on specifically Isaiah 61. Of all the things God said to the nation of Israel, of all the wrath, all the judgments, all the promises, all the hope, Jesus lands on a text that's all about freedom. And so as he is beginning his ministry, he's saying to his hometown, and by the way, at the end of the day, they're not going to take it very well. He's going to say, hey, I am here to set you free. To set you free. Free. And that's the beginning of his ministry. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at these four lines, these four things that he came to set free. And like I said earlier, I want you to take these and look at you. Think about where you are right now, where you have been, where, you, where you're anxious about tomorrow even. 
And, and ask yourself, am I walking in this freedom that Christ has promised me? So let's jump right in to the first thing that Jesus Christ says. As we take that inventory, we find that Jesus Christ came to proclaim good news to the poor. And so I'm going to word it this way. Jesus came to free people who are aware of their brokenness. Now, why would I reword it that way? Because of what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor. Now, what does it mean to, to be poor? Well, yes, of course it means, you know, you're broke. You don't have enough. You're living lack. Maybe you're bankrupt. But this isn't just about money. It does mean that you could be financially poor. But it also means you could be emotionally poor. You could be spiritually poor. You could be relationally poor. You can be poor in any way that you can suffer lack. You can be poor in that way. What's Jesus saying? All of it. He's saying blessed are the poor. Now what does it mean when He says blessed are the poor? The poor are those who are bankrupt, who are broken, and they know they are. That's what the poor is. Jesus said I, that he came to, uh, to, as a physician to those, or to open the eyes of those who were blind, but those who didn't recognize that they were blind had no hope. And so you need to realize that Jesus came for those who were broken. So let me ask you a question. Are you broken? Are you in a place right now maybe, and maybe you're not today, maybe you've been here, but you, are you in a place where you realize, I can't do anything. I, I have nothing here. I, I can't fix this situation. I can't make it better. I'm, I'm, I got no hope in myself. Now, I realize that as I share this idea, it's so un-American. This is not American theology because American theology is this. You dig deep. Reach inside yourself and find what you need. And what you find is a whole lot of nothing. Get down deep. And there's nothing there either. But that doesn't sell books. That doesn't get me on the speaker course, you know, motivator. You're lost without hope. Jesus is your only answer. Trust him. There's not a whole lot of demand for that out on the market, okay? But that's the truth. The truth is that Jesus came, and if you are in a place right now that you're like, I, I don't know where to go. I don't have anything. I'm I'm, I'm at the end of myself. I am broken. I'm a mess. You are in a great place. You're in a good place right now. You think you're in a bad place. You think you're at the end of yourself, and that's a terrible thing. No, when you're at the end of yourself, you're ready for an answer now. You're ready for something outside of you. Because I'm telling you, the best things come from outside of you. And when those best things, and that best thing is Christ, fills you, now you have answers at your disposal you could never have dreamed. And so Jesus says, hey, I came to proclaim the good news. Preach the gospel to the poor. So if you are shattered and broken and without hope, you're in an amazing place because Jesus has good news for you. What's the good news? He's the answer. He's the answer. Not more money, not what he will give you, not that he will work your problems out, not that he will change everything around you, not that he will fulfill all your expectations. No, he is the answer himself. Jesus is what you need, not all the solutions you might think he might give you. Does that make sense? So that's the gospel. Jesus is the gospel. In the simplest way, you ever, anyone ever ask you, what's the gospel? Jesus. Bam. There you go. You want to, <laughs> excuse me, I'm sorry, I almost got ahead of myself, and I caught myself, which is a miracle, the fifth miracle of Christmas, right there. I stopped myself. Anyway, the good news is that Jesus came for broken people, man, and there's nothing wrong with being broken. Just, you don't have to stay broken, okay? It's a good start, right? That's the first promise. He sets free those who know they are broken. I guess the only lesson I would have is if you're sitting there still telling yourself that you can do this, as soon as you realize you can't, you'll be in a good place. But as long as you keep hanging on in that hope in you, there is no hope in you. Okay? You're like, I don't want to hear that. I know. I know. But that's the truth, and the truth will set you free. And we want to walk in freedom, not delusion. Right? We don't want a nice prison cell. We don't want a comfortable recliner in jail. We want to be free from the prison we're in. And so if you're broken, there's hope. 
Jesus also came to free people who are in bondage. That's the second group that Jesus Christ came to free, that the captives would be released, the prisoners. So he uses the word captives. The best way I think we could wrap our English around that is if we replace the word captives with prisoners of war. That would be a better understanding. It's not a literal translation of it, but it still captures the idea better of what Jesus is saying. They're captives. They're caught by another kingdom, so to speak. Caught up in things. Prisoners of things. So yes, we can be trapped in our brokenness, but we can also be prisoners to other things. Sometimes our own sins catch us up. The Bible says that the, the, the sinner will be caught in the cords of his own sins in Proverbs. It's tangled up in their own mistakes. And sometimes we are sins. I'm sorry. Mistakes is a terrible replacement for the word sins. And I shouldn't have said that, so forgive me. But anyway, we, we end up prisoners to things. Sometimes they're things of our own actions and choices. Sometimes they're, they're fruits of out, our, of, out of our lives. So some in, are in this room are prisoners to doubt and fear. You're living in anxiety. I, I was reading something this week, and it, it really kind of helped me wrap my head around some things. And it said that if you spend your time thinking about the past, you'll be depressed. And if you spend your time thinking about the future, you'll be anxious. So we have to learn to live in the present. And I, I thought that was kind of helpful. Uh, I'm not saying it's like a biblical truth. I'm just saying I thought it was kind of helpful, okay, to, to look at this way. And so some of you are prisoners to tomorrow. Like, I'm, what's going to happen? You don't know. That's the whole point. We live life forward, not backwards. And you don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. So don't let tomorrow ruin today. That's what Jesus said in Matthew 6. Don't, there'll be enough trouble tomorrow. <laughs> got enough trouble today. You probably got laundry to do and dishes to do and food and work and all that. That's enough for today. Just do that, you know? So some are prisoners of that fear and anxiety of tomorrow. Some it's money and possessions. That's an easy one to fall into. I mean, we live in a world that, you know, money isn't everything, but it ranks right up there with the oxygen. That's kind of our, our thinking, you know? And, and you, you've got to have enough of it. And, and I learned long ago, you don't have to have money to be greedy. You just have to want a lot of things to be greedy. That's all. It doesn't take possessions to, to be that, you know? And so we live in a world that's really trapped in this. And, and that may be you thinking that your freedom comes from financial security. But, but money was never meant to give security. That's not one of its purposes, guys. And so if you're imprisoned to that, that's, that's a trap of the world. Some, some are prisoners to, to sexual behaviors, pornography, uh, immorality, living in things, trying to find acceptance and meet needs through these just unhealthy ways of living. You know, And so you, you get trapped in that. And, and it's a cycle that just gets worse and worse. And, and None of, there's no love in that. Some are prisoners in this room to guilt and shame. That's a powerful tool the enemy uses. God will tell you the truth. And then as soon as you own it, you, he will give you freedom. The enemy will just bombard your mind with guilt and shame and give you no way of escape. That's how the enemy works. Okay, Jesus died for your guilt and shame to set you free from it. The enemy just wants to load your backpack with it, and so you're always carrying it around. And so some of us are prisoners to that. There are some that are prisoners to false religions, just theological systems that keep them enslaved, sometimes to other people. Now, guys, being a prisoner is one thing, and we can all find ourselves imprisoned to things. We can make choices that put us in bad places, but Jesus didn't die so you could live as a prisoner and worship in your jail cell. Jesus died to set you free. To shake the jail open, as that story of Paul and Silas where they're singing in the jail and God shakes the place and sets them free. That is a literal metaphor for what your life should be. God's shaking your life until you're free. Oh my goodness, that was really good. <laughs> wow. Anyway, oh, I'm going to listen to this sermon. I don't listen to these sermons because I hate to hear me preach, but you guys know how to suffer better than I do. So anyway. Here's the thing, guys. Jesus Christ came for people who are caught in and who are prisoners of war. The enemy comes at us with the systems of the world, the culture in which we live, tells us lies, and before you know it, you're trapped. And and Jesus came to set us free. You know, I came from a I come from a family, um, a very wonderful and dysfunctional one, just like you did, I'm sure. And um 
my, my grandfather was a really fun guy, but my, my mom, mother grew up in Tiptonville, Tennessee. My dad grew up in Hickman, Kentucky. They're about 15, 20 miles apart. Very depressed area of the South. Ag was the only thing uh, keeping it afloat. And in the early 70s, um, or, well, actually, we could go back further into the 60s, even late 50s even, just a very depressed area. So most of the people that my forebears were sharecroppers. They didn't own their own land, but they farmed someone else's land. My grandfather lived most of his adult life and died in a house that was owned by a farmer. And um, Andy was his name. We called him <coughs> Paul Durham. But um, in that day, you worked all week. And you drank all weekend. That was what you did. Weekend alcoholics, we call them today. And so that was my grandfather. And that was my uncle who lived just one lot over from him. And that was a heritage of my family. That's where my dad was headed. My father um, went to Vietnam at 18. 18, guys. My, my son, I don't think Creed's in here. Oh, there he is. Thank you, son. Thanks for waving. That's Creed. Good-looking, red-headed guy. He hates it when I point him out, so I'm doing that. He runs sound like every week. He's just amazing. Um, he's 18. And my father at 18 was um, <laughs> dodging bullets and rice patties in Vietnam. For real. I'm not kidding. He came home at 19. He did his 13-month tour in the Marine Corps. Um, came home at 19. Married my mother just a few months later. I came along 10 months after that because that's how things are done, right? <laughs> Back then, in the early, early to mid-70s, there was no conversation about PTSD. If they did talk about it, it was, they were still using the word shell shock or battle fatigue then. Um, there was no, no counseling for Vietnam vets. In fact, they were trying to act like they didn't exist when my dad came home. And um, so my dad comes home, gets a job, worked for Pepsi-Cola in Union City, Tennessee. And he chose two drugs. <laughs> One, he was a workaholic. He worked every second he could. And by the way, guys, if you're a workaholic, that's just another drug. You're trying to get acceptance from the job. So I'll throw that out there for free. And then on weekends, he did what everybody else did in the South. He, he drank all weekend. He worked all weekend, drank all weekend. That was my dad's life. He was trying to medicate a condition he didn't, no one admitted he had. You know? So... We lived on Airport Road outside Union City, and you don't know where that is, but it means a lot to me. And it was, an, it was a farm house. It was on a farm. And there, we lived on a gravel road. If you grew up on a gravel road, you know what it's like when people zoom down the gravel road and push out that billowing cloud. <laughs> There's this crazy family about a mile down the road from us, the Pentecost family. What a name for a bunch of Baptists. Anyway. <laughs> The Pentecost family, <laughs> they really were. They were fundamental Baptists, but they were nothing. Anyway, it's too funny. Because, um, anyway, I'm not going <laughs> to. They would roll down our road, like everybody, however fast you go, and that cloud's coming out. But they had about three or four kids at the time, and all their windows would be rolled down, and hands and heads would be out the window waving at the Maynard family. You know, I'm, I'm like five years old, and I remember it well. And, and, you know, you see them going by, and, of course, the conversation is our family is... Uh, who are those nuts down the road? Very strange people, Dad. Anyway, so one Thursday night, <clears throat> because Union City Baptist Temple, the church that I ended up in as a child, had visitation on Thursday night, one Thursday night. The Pentecost family come down the road, but they didn't drive by. And Brother Pentecost, and I believe it was Brother Taylor, got out of the car and knocked on my mom and dad's door. And they sent me to my room because I was five years old and that's what they did with kids back in the mid-70s. <laughs> and uh, I didn't get to be a part of the conversation. All I know is that when the night was over, Brother Taylor, Brother Pentecost, my mom and dad were kneeling at this old 70s green stool that we kept for three decades after that. And my parents placed their faith in Jesus Christ. That moment changed my life. I didn't even know at the time. I was a, a child. I thank God regularly for God sending that crazy nut job family down our dirt road. <laughs> I, and, and, and someone having the nerve to come and just share 
the good news with a bro. I don't know where our family would be if that hadn't happened. My, my parents were not getting along well, I found out many years later at that moment. But God showed up, and a Vietnam veteran who was so shattered on the inside that, that, that all he could do was medicate it, could, found Christ and got his life put back together. I'm going to tell you. Hey, go ahead. That's, that's the kind of stuff God does. Tell you what, I, used to, I tell people all the time, my dad got so saved. <laughs> I'm telling you, from that point on, I was in church. I, we did not go to church before that, but from that point on, all we did was church. <laughs> my dad had a bus ministry, and back then, a bus could seat 40 kids, and my dad would pack 60 on it to get them into <laughs> junior church. Uh, it was crazy. Um, I thank God for that, because that's why Jesus came, to proclaim to the prisoners of war. And in my case, it's... More true in, than others, I guess. The gospel. Freedom. Setting free. And if you feel like you are trapped, you are not. Not, not as a follower of Christ. Not if you will turn to Christ. You can be free. It may take a little time to learn how to walk in freedom. But that's okay. Expect that. Expect to, It's like being, being born again is like being born again. It's like learning to walk and learning to use hands you never had, you didn't, you haven't used before, and, and see through eyes you you don't know how to use yet. That's what the Christian life is like. It's not a magic bullet. It's a new life, and it changes things. And that's what Jesus came for. Jesus came to free people from bondage, and Jesus came to free people who are blinded, people who can't. See, it's so easy to get blinded in life. It's, it's so easy to get your vision clouded over and you can't see the truth, see what's going on. The Bible says in Corinthians, it says that the God of this world has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. And so there's this issue of not being able to see. And so Jesus came for the spiritually blind people. Jesus, God in the flesh, came for those who, who couldn't see. What kinds of things blind us? Sometimes our, our own ideas blind us. I mean, we all grew up in families. We had at least either parents or someone in our life who was an example or a guardian who taught us what they believed. Well, they may have believed something that wasn't true, though. I, I've always, I mean, I don't question God. Well, I do, but I don't say it out loud to you. <laughs> but one of the things that always blows my mind is, is have you ever realized that only amateurs raise children? <laughs> Think about it. By the time that you figure out what you're doing, they're gone. And now, and then you flush that so you can be fun for the grandkids. I, right? You're like, now I know how to be a parent. Don't need that anymore. Bring the grandkids over. Where's the candy? <laughs> my, my point is, you're like, he doesn't have a point. That's just a joke. No, my point is that that our parents teach us what they know and what they know may not be correct. They may have gotten it from someone else and that can actually put a lens over your life, the way you view things, so that you, you can't see things clearly. You can't understand, especially how Jesus does things. And, and so, yes, your, your family could blind you. The world you live in is always throwing miscommunications and twisted truths and trying to make you fit its mold. That's, that's what the world wants to do with you. It doesn't want to set you free. Sin is never freedom. Sin is always about conforming to the herd. Uh, and by, if you know me well, you know I hate the herd mentalities. I, I hate airports. I hate being herded. I hate security. I'm like, just give everyone a gun. They'll work it out on the flight. That's how I look at it. So... You're like, that is not right. That is not right. <laughs> I'm just telling you. Give everyone a gun. And, never mind. I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> sorry. That's probably not a good idea. I accept that. But anyway, my, my point is we live in a world that's always trying to get us to think like it thinks, and it can blind you. And some people 
like not knowing. You know that old saying, ignorance is bliss? It's just easier to not know. Have you ever told someone they're like about to tell you bad news and you're like, nah, stop. I don't want to know. I, don't, I just don't care. Your kids, when they get older, they're going to start trying to tell you all the times they almost died while they were at home. And you just stop them right there. I don't want to know. You made it. That's all I care about. <laughs> it's true. You know they got that look on their face. You know when they almost died because they run in the door. <gasps> If, if you have boys, you know what I'm talking about. So. <laughs> anyway, but Jesus, Jesus Christ came to open the, the eyes of the blind. So I think a good illustration of this is actually Paul. Um, so Paul before he was Paul, and we know him as Paul, which is a Greek form of his name. His Hebrew name was Saul. Saul was a Pharisee, and you know, to really make it clear, he was just a racist. Before he met Jesus, he would have hated you thought you were just, he really would have thought you were just kindling for the fires of hell. That would have been his mindset, and he would be happy to see you go there. That's how racist Pharisee Paul would have been, okay? But then something happened in his life. He's going to Damascus to get rid of troublemakers like you, people who believe in Jesus, and, and to imprison them or, or speak in their trials, try and get them killed, whatever he can. He's going for that reason, and on that road, he meets Jesus. He meets Jesus Christ, and when he sees Jesus, his physical sight, well, he goes blind. That moment of blindness, Pharisee Paul became the Apostle Paul. Pharisee Saul became the Apostle Paul. And that moment of blindness, he gained incredible clarity. Now, here's something Jesus, now this is Paul's record and the testimony he gave in Acts 26, something that Jesus said to him. Jesus probably said this to to Saul slash Paul when he could not see, when he was blinded by the glory of Christ. And, and Jesus said to him, I will rescue you from both your own people and the Gentiles. Yes. I'm pretty sure that's how Jesus said it with a chuckle. Yes. I'm sending you to the Gentiles. Wow. Anyway, um, to open their eyes so they may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God then they will receive forgiveness for their sins and be given a place among God's people who are set apart by faith in me. Paul's going out. His mission is to open blind eyes, to help people see, because that was Jesus' mission. And that's what empowered Paul's ministry is Jesus in him. So Jesus' mission was to open blind eyes, and that was Paul's. And so if you're struggling seeing things, maybe you're sitting here right now and you're chewing on spiritual truths. Maybe you're struggling with the gospel. Maybe you're struggling with grace. Maybe you grew up in a, a very legalistic and rigid faith and, and you don't, you're, this idea of grace is hard for you and, and, or you're struggling with works. Maybe you're struggling with the Holy Spirit. My, my point is you're having a hard time seeing it. Jesus came for that. That's the point. He can open those eyes. He can help you see. You hear me say all the time, I, I don't know all the questions in life, but I know the answer and His name is Jesus Christ. And I mean that with all of my heart, guys. you got to turn to Jesus. He is the answer. He's the one you have to see. If you can turn to Him, it's amazing to me how often God will answer prayers that are, go like this. Lord, I don't understand this. Teach me. It's a prayer I've prayed often. Lord, I don't understand. Holy Spirit, teach me. Lord, I don't understand grace. Teach me. And I'll tell you what, that is the first step on a journey. Guys, on a journey. No magic bullets in Christianity. Only Jesus. He's Christianity. Okay? And so Jesus came to set us free from that blindness and to, to open those blind eyes. And then the last group of people is that Jesus came to free people who are crushed. We use the word oppressed in the NLT. Those who are <coughs> to set at liberty those who are oppressed. But what does it mean to be oppressed? It means to be crushed. We started out with brokenness, accepting brokenness, and moved into bondage and prisoners, and moved into um, the last point. I just covered that. I can't pull up at this last second. <laughs> Blindness. Thank you. Oh, my goodness. Way to go, Michael. <sighs> and now we come to this, this different thing. Oppressed. Crushed. Have you ever been crushed? Has life ever just 
devastated you. I'm not talking about inconvenienced you. I'm not talking about hurt. I mean devastated. Ruined. I get it. I know what the enemy does in moments of devastation. I know the lies. What Satan loves to do is he loves to do evil things to you and then give God the credit. That's how he rolls. And I know, I, I'm here to tell you, you've gone through some trials, abuses, attacks, and some losses. And all through it, there's a voice whispering in your ear, God did that. God did that to you. God's a jerk. He doesn't care about you. And he takes those lies and that tragedy, and he doesn't just crush the circumstance, he crushes your soul. Crushes the part of you that lives and breathes and exists. But it's okay. Because Jesus came for people who were beyond broken. He came for people who were absolutely wrecked, absolutely crushed, absolutely devastated. Jesus came to give freedom to those people. So you qualify. I don't care how bad it is. You're in a good place. I don't care how tough today is or how good today is. If you can just accept the brokenness, own it, and walk in and, and see the, the broken, crushed heart and know that Jesus came for that, there's freedom for you. There's a chance to, to escape that. It has to resonate. You remember the old Mother Goose rhyme? Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses, all the king's men. I don't know how horses would do it, but... <clears throat> couldn't put Humpty back together again. Written in 1810. Still around today. Why? Because all of us know what it is to be broken. We know what it is to suffer, to be wrung out. I don't know how someone does it without Christ. I, I, I'm, I'm with you. I'm honest. I have, I've done funerals for suicides and things for families that did not have faith, for sudden deaths for families that did not have faith. I don't. I don't know how you do that because Christ, I just don't know life without Christ. I mean, I, I've been saved since I was six. And uh, so Christ came for that. So if you're here this morning, and apparently you are because you just heard me say that. <laughs> and, and you are in a place and you're, you're beginning to, you're wrestling with Jesus and the answer and how to get through this or if you can be forgiven, if, if you've gone too far from God, have you just turned your back too many times? Are, are, you just, are you just too wrecked by the world you're in it? Just too used up, too gone? I'm here to tell you there's an answer. There is an answer. And His name really is Jesus Christ. I can't tell you how that name's going to play out in your life. I, I can't sit here and tell you that, man, if you, if you step up to the plate today and you put Jesus Christ on the throne of your life, you dethrone yourself, put Jesus Christ there, I can't tell you that from that day on it's all going to work out. And In fact, I will promise you the opposite. I promise you that the day you put Christ on the throne of your life, the enemy will come after you, both guns blazing after you. It, it will be a challenge. But I'm telling you, this is a journey, man. And this is a journey to a great place. This is a journey home. It's a journey to a, an identity. It's a journey to a place where God sees what you could be. You understand that, right? When God looks at you, He doesn't see what you have done. He sees what you will be. He sees your future. Your good and glorious future. I, had to, I was reading this morning in 1 John chapter 3, and I'm just adding to the sermon, so we might be here a while. You never know. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, it just talks about... Uh, that God, we're, we're God's children, and He loves us so much, He calls us His kids, and we don't know what we're going to be like, but we just know it's going to be Jesus. That's kind of how John puts it. And you got to understand, when John writes that, this is the dude that was on that mountain when Jesus Christ was transfigured, okay? So the whole book of 1 John is predicated by the transfiguration. That's really important to understand when you read the book, okay? And so he's looking at this, and he goes, we don't know we're going to be that. But when he appears, we're going to be like him. That's exactly how John wrote it. We're going to be like him at high pitch. It's, it's in the Greek, man. Trust me. Just take it. Just own it. And I'm reading that this morning, and I'm like, whoa. Now, listen, I've thought about Jesus coming back a, a couple or 3,000 times yesterday. No, <laughs> this year. 
And, and for the first time, I just I, I had this weird thought. So I'm going to share it with you so you'll know I'm a strange guy. And I was like, here's Jesus coming back. And here's all these Christians all around the world. We don't even know how many. You know, Some of them think they are, but they aren't. But there's a lot of them that are saved and, know, and people don't know because of their situation. They're there and they look just like you or me. They're just human, got their human faces on and, and skin. But what people don't see is that they are children of God and they are not like them. The world cannot know them is what John says in 1 John chapter 3. The world cannot know them because they have no idea what God's like. And they're around the world and all of a sudden Jesus is going to appear. And all of these cocoons of flesh are going to be transformed. Bam! What is going to happen? I don't know exactly, but the transfiguration is the key, is the clue. All of a sudden, all these people are going to shed their humanity, and they're going to look like Jesus looked on that mountain. It's going to freak people out. There should be a revival at that moment, but I don't know if they're, it's probably not too late. So, so now how John ends that thought is he goes, if you live with this eager anticipation, eager anticipation is the, the New Living Translation. If you live with this expectant hope is the King James. If you live with this hope, then you purify yourself as Christ is pure. And so I hear in that verse where John's living every day of his life going, I can't wait can't wait to be Jesus, to look like Jesus, to, to take on that form, to look like he looks. I can't wait. Guys, that's what heaven is. You got to get this idea of heaven out of, out of your head like it's some kind of retirement home. I know you're tired and you want to break, but that's not what heaven's about. Man, heaven is about Christ. It's about worship. I mean, it's about community and family unhindered by sin and flesh. Man, it is so much to look forward to. It is outside your frame of reference, but the Father can reveal it to you by His Spirit, okay? So we have so much to look forward to. Jesus came for all these things to put those things together. And so if that's you, if you're in any of those places in life, you have freedom. You may not know how to walk in it yet, but the second you put Christ on the throne of your life, you are free. Now you've got to learn to live free, and you've got to know these things are done for you. Praise the Lord. Amen? Amen. Amen. Now that's not the end of the sermon, okay? That was the introduction. Amen. Yeah, all right? All right. What, what I want you to get is, yes, you're free, okay? Hallelujah, you're free. But here's the thing. Jesus didn't just save you so you could walk around in freedom, going around going, yeah, I'm free. Yeah, you're not free. I'm sorry, but I'm free. That's not, it's not very kind. He saved you and died for you so you could share the freedom. In fact, that's how, that's, in fact I think that is a, a quicker way to walk in anything that is the kingdoms. The sooner you learn to give the thing away, the sooner you will be abundant in the thing. Money, health, service, ministry, and freedom. As soon as you learn to give freedom to others, you walk in that freedom in a greater capacity. And so that's, that's where we come now. Jesus came to do all these things and set you free. So now it's our, it's our joy, not our task, not our duty. God doesn't give us jobs in the kingdom because He wants to make us uh, uh, slaves and servants. We start out as servants, but he does that because he loves us. You always have to remember, God gives us jobs and tasks in the kingdom because he loves us. Just like a loving father would give his son or daughter tasks so that they could grow in their adulthood, our father gives us things so that we can grow in our faith and in our closeness to him and our experience of him. And so this is one of those things. You are free in Christ. If you're struggling in that freedom, learn to give it away and you'll grow in that freedom. So one of that, those ways is for us to go and give freedom to others. So have you ever heard the story of Harriet Tubman? The Underground Railroad, the South, eight, early, eight, early to mid-1800s. Okay? Harriet Tubman escaped plantation to the north. Frail, she wasn't all that strong, wasn't big, didn't have a lot of resources. But when she acquired her freedom... She, she decided it wasn't enough for just Harriet to be free. 
So she started a, a many-year journey. 19 trips are recorded that she went to, to gather slaves from the south and help them escape the slavery that they were under. And for a while, she brought them into the north, New York, Boston area. But after the, some laws were passed in 1850 that could have gotten those slaves sent back even then, she began to transport them all the way to Canada. 19 trips, over 300 people she led to freedom. Because she'd been free. And here's the thing. She didn't have a lot of resources. So when she ran out of money or the ability to finance these trips, she would work as a household servant or something. The same kind of thing she would do as a slave. She would work as that to gather the income so that she could go and get more people and free them. She was free, but she chose to work in something she was a slave at so that she could reach others. Now you're saying, what does that have to do with me? Well, it has to do with you because of what Paul did. Paul was a slave to a, a rigid legalistic system, to a, to a bunch of twists and lies on who God is. He was a slave. And then one day on a road to Damascus, he met the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and his life was changed, and he was free. And in that moment of freedom, he was sent to go and tell others about freedom. And he says this in 1 Corinthians 9, 19, even though I am a free man with no master, I've become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. Guys, that's the job. That's our joy. Now, I got to be honest with you. <clears throat> I found out at the end of the first service, they tell me I'm nicer in that service than this one. I, I don't know what that means, but... It might mean you should come to the early service. I don't know. But anyway, here's, what, here's something I want to add to this thought. Go and set people free and try not to get too caught up in the ones who won't be free yet. So, the, so I had a conversation not too long ago. I can't tell you what it's like unless you've done it to sit across the table from someone and to be able to see what they cannot. To know something they can't even learn yet. And argue with them for their very own soul. And I had a conversation like this not too long ago. And my heart is breaking. But it does not help your argument to dissolve into tears <laughs> over coffee. My heart is breaking because I'm talking to someone who has suffered terrible injustice in life. Terrible abuse. And out of those wounds came walls. We talked this year, last year, this year still, about boundaries a lot. The difference between a boundary and a wall is that a, a, a boundary is like a fence in which you can let in the good and let out the bad. A wall is a prison. No one gets in, no one gets out. That's normally we get hurt and we build a wall. No one ever hurts me like that again, is what we say. We build a law. No one gets in. The problem is we can't let any good in either. We can't let anyone who would bless us or encourage us in either because our walls are too high. And as I'm talking to this person, I'm seeing these walls. As they're sharing their story, just go up through their life and get higher and higher. And, and we're, as we're conversing, I realize that as we're talking, that wall is going up even greater. And my heart's breaking because I see inside those walls... He's a little child, heart stuck in some terrible moments. And I'm praying, God, just set them free. Set them free. And I didn't win the argument. I may have made it worse. But I'm not going to quit. I've failed many times my failures far outnumber my successes but we don't quit we keep going one time i think michael and i talked about this one time i envisioned what we do like as ministers as christians not just ministers but as christians it's like we're standing on the banks of a flooded river and people are just in the river some of them are trying to not drown and some of them are in tubes splashing around thinking it's a good time but down the road, there's a waterfall. It's death. 
And, and it's, like, it's like our job is to throw out the lifeline and just say, hey, this, this party ends. There's a waterfall down there. This, this is death. And, and a lot of them laugh at us like, no, we're having a good time now. It doesn't matter. And, and some of them try for a little bit to get to the lifeline we threw out and then give up. And <clears throat> You just keep throwing out the line and you keep proclaiming the truth and you drag in everyone you can. That's what you do. You don't quit. You don't quit. I don't quit. We don't quit. That's what we're here to do. Why? Because Christ has set me free. And I'm going to walk out of this life with as many free people in my wake as I can. And it's got to be the same for you. It's got to be the same for all of us. We'll all fail. We'll mess up. It's okay. Because God's the one who's actually got the lifeline. You're just throwing it out there. It's His Gospel. You didn't write it. Do you see what I'm saying? So guys, yes, be free. Know your freedom in Christ, but then give it away. And the more you give away your freedom, the more freedom you're going to walk in. The more you're going to know freedom. But even if you don't, even if you struggle every day, and some of you may, it's not about you. It's about every other free life that we can bring to the shore. That's what it's about. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank You. I thank You for the privilege that I get to share Your Word and Your truth and Your Gospel and Your grace. I am so undeserving. I thank You for this privilege. But it's Your message and Your Word, not mine. And Lord, I have a two-pronged prayer. One, nobody leaves here in bondage or blind or crushed or broken. That everyone meets Jesus and sets out on the journey that gets them put back together again. And the second part is that every free man, woman, or child in this place shares Jesus in their life in every way they can that we bring in every soul possible into freedom and into life, that, that we destroy the works of the enemy every day. Thank you. I can't believe we get to do this. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.